crack into this thing. Lord, we come to you this day. We want to thank you for another day of life. Grateful that we can gather, we can worship you, we can praise you. God, we want to thank you, Lord, for uh, meeting with us. Lord, we, we know that you are, are certainly with us, Lord, not just because you're omnipresent, but Lord, you promise your presence when we gather together. And, and Lord, uh, that we have your presence within us. I pray that we would live in abundance of that, that we would be reminded of those truths, that we would be reminded of your faithfulness through your word and Lord through the many things that you've done for us Lord there's certainly many things that you've done this week and you've answered prayers Lord you've, we've got many things to praise you for help us to have grateful hearts and thankful hearts today Lord help us to not have a thanksgiving as just one time of a year but Lord truly uh, every moment of every day God that we'd be grateful and thankful for your mercy and your goodness to us we want to lift up these many requests to you God we want to uh, thank you Lord for the work that you're doing in Ukraine through brother Paul Dudka and many other missionaries and pastors there pray that you would bless them encourage them you need to provide for them and protect them, God. We just want to thank you that in the midst of such darkness, you're able to demonstrate your light and your love for, for lost sinners. God, we do pray for Miss Maxine, who's in the hospital. We pray, God, that you would give her healing and recovery quickly. And God, that you would give her uh, help and, and strength as well as she uh, is, is able to uh, get home. Uh, we do pray as well for Teresa and, and Ronnie both. Lord, they've had some different health issues and things. And now it seems that they're having some car trouble. We pray, God, that you would provide for them, meet their needs, give them encouragement and strength this morning. Lord, we do pray for Isla Faye's mom, Lord, who had a, had a fall. We want to thank you, Lord. It doesn't seem that anything's broken, but God, we do want to pray for uh, just a, a smooth and, and quick uh, healing and recovery there. And Lord, we do pray as well for Miss Geneva, who's been in the hospital as well and uh, having different procedures and things. We do pray, God, that there would be um, a good and, and full healing, that you would bring uh, just strength and encouragement there to her um, as she will be able to, to get, uh, get home and, and, and get rested and get well. And Lord, we do pray as well for their for Jerry Nestor and as well as for his family. We pray for his health, uh, for encouragement and strength for him. And Lord, certainly it seems that he's struggling a, a little bit, but God, we do thank you for uh, the assurance uh, in Christ that he has expressed. And we do pray for his father who, who is on hospice as well. And Lord, there's a whole lot for that family all at one time. So God, we pray that we give them peace. We give them comfort and guidance and strength. And we do pray as well for the many unspoken requests today. God, we know that you know the needs. Lord, you know the needs even before we do, but we want to thank you, God, that uh, you give us the ability and the opportunity and the privilege, Lord, uh, to pray, to come to you, and to continue to, to lift these things up. God, help us to have our minds and our hearts uh, ridden of any distractions that we might have. Uh, Lord, rid us of any flesh, uh, fleshly thinking or fleshly ways that we might have amongst us, Lord, that we might uh, be pure before you, that we might be right before you. God, that we might be able to be able to focus solely upon you today and your word. God, we uh, lift up uh, the Bible camps and, and the counselors who are closing out the summer and the season we pray, God, that you would um, be with the campers as well, Lord, as they hear the gospel and as they hear your word preached. We pray that lives would be changed and impacted, Lord, especially at such a young age, that they might live long lives uh, for the glory uh, of God. And we do uh, want to lift up as well uh, the Davis family, and we want to uh, pray, Lord, that you would um, just work throughout our lives today, and God, that you would uh, help our hearts and our minds be focused upon you. And Lord, we thank you for your word. Help us to learn from it now, and God, I pray uh, just for a clearness of a thought and mind for myself, for a physical, spiritual strength to preach your word today. And God, that you would be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 down through 21 is our last section here. I'm going to read it. I've got right at 30 minutes and I'm going to finish it. Going to do it. All right, now let's look here. These things have I written unto you that you believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, let's stop there for just a moment. You say, oh, man, he's already getting sidetracked. Look at verse 13, though. Thir verse 13 is the key to the whole book. Uh, between verse 13 here and chapter 1, uh, the very opening few verses, what we find is this great truth is that John is writing 
to give not just an apologetic to how to answer the uh, false accusers and, and the false teachers of the day, but he is writing to give assurance. Assurance in the midst of false teaching. Assurance in the midst of persecution. Assurance in the midst of dark days. Assurance to your very heart that often wanders from the Lord, that often causes you to think uh, wrongly about the Lord or about your own salvation. And he assures us about our relationship with the Lord. He assures us of our salvation. We should have both the assurance of salvation and the security of such. Both go hand in hand. And both have been applied and given to us the very moment that we trusted Jesus as Lord. Now, as we look at this, he continues on and says in verse 14, and this is the confidence, right, or the assurance that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth us, uh, whatever, uh, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. We have the assurance here that he hears our prayers, he knows our hearts, and we can go to God knowing that he hears us. And I don't believe that there's anything wrong in praying, going, Lord, I know that you hear me. I know that you know my need. I know that you know this. I know that you're able to work. I know that you're doing this, but God, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you. I believe that prayer should be such. Prayer should be a confident thing, not because we go, well, I'm such a good Christian. I know God's going to certainly answer my prayer, but rather going, I know that God is so good. I know that he will hear me. I know that he will answer in his time and in his way. And moving on to verse 16, uh, 17 and 18, where we see, uh, verse 16 and 17, rather, we see from last week, if any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and shall uh, give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin not unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All in righteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. We talked about last week how there is um, the need for us to pray for those who are in outward, bold-faced sin, as well as for us to be sensitive to our own sinfulness within but as well we found that there is a sin unto death. Now, it doesn't name that sin, but yet there is this understanding biblically that there is enough sin against the Lord where God just says, okay, enough's enough, you're out. Now, that does not mean that they lose their salvation, but that means he calls them on home because they have so um, tainted the glory of God in this world and tainted their life of how they were supposed to live. It is now marred. It is misused. And so we must be concerned with sin because God is very concerned about sin. Even in the life of a believer, he desires that we would be holy as he is holy. And we must never forget that. Now, verses 18 uh, down through 21, and this is what we're going to get to today. I've got 28 minutes. Here we go. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come and have given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true. And we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ, that is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Now, as we look here, we want to look, first of all, at the new nature and protection that is given here in these verses. Verse 18, we find this new nature. We find this being born of God, as he's talked about over and over and over in this book. We know that whosoever is born of God How do you know you're born of God? He goes back to chapter 5, verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. There is the greatest need for any soul in this world, truly the biggest need that they have, is to be born again. Every person that is born must be born again. How can you be born again? How can a man be born again? And Nicodemus asked Jesus, can he go back into his mother's womb and come back out? No, it doesn't work that way. Jesus was never talking about a physical new birth. Rather, he's talking about a spiritual new birth. 
to be born again into the family of God. And the only way is that Jesus is Christ, is a born of God. The one that believes that. Well, what is that word believe? It is the same word that we have for faith. How are we saved? By grace through faith. Faith is not just a, I know this thing. I know that Jesus died for me. Well, that's not salvation. That's just having a knowledge about the work of Jesus. But there is a difference between faith and knowledge. Faith is the appliance of knowledge going. I am putting my trust and my weight. I'm putting my eternity upon the fact of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and that that alone is enough to save me. And so it is a total, complete trust and dependence. Uh, it is faith. That is what saves in this, those who are truly born of God will combat sin in their flesh and will not allow sin to rule over them. What we find is that we are made new creatures in Christ Jesus the very moment that we are born again. You are going to be different. And if you are not different, go back, try again, right? Now, the idea is this. Look, there are many who have a religious experience without ever being born again. There are plenty who do church without ever being born again. There are plenty who serve in church, but who are never born again. But if you are truly born again, the Lord will not allow you to stay in this sin. Now, does that mean you won't ever sin? No, it does not mean that. You are still in mortal flesh, temporary flesh. What does the flesh do? The Bible tells us that the flesh warreth after the spirit. It goes against the spirit. So that means everything in this world, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, the, the world, the flesh, and the devil all are at odds with the Spirit within us. As our spirit surrenders and submits to the Spirit of God to be holy before God, to live rightly before God, then what we find is that there is this battle taking place. The moment that we trust Jesus, this battle comes into our life. That this old man is fighting the new man. This old nature is fighting the new nature. And this temporary is fighting the eternal that is within us. Know that you already have the everlasting God within you. But what is still at odds? The temporary flesh, the temporary lust, the temporary pride, the temporary sinfulness of this life. Now, uh, just for sake of time today, you can go back and you can read. And, and I encourage you to do this. Read this in its entirety and its order. Romans 6, 7, and 8. And what you will find there is this beautiful tapestry where God says, here is your identity in Christ. You are now dead, buried, and risen again, baptized in Christ. You are a new creature, and now uh, you no longer have to serve sin. And then in chapter 7, the Apostle Paul goes, the things that I wish I didn't do, I do. The things that I shouldn't do, I do. But the things that I want to do and need to do, that's what I have a hard time doing. What does he talk about in chapter 7? He talks about, that war between the flesh and the spirit. But then in chapter 8, everyone wants to jump ahead to chapter 8 and go straight to Romans 8, 28, right? Well, there's 27 verses before that. And those are very key, especially the first 17, 17 verses. They're critical because what they do is they show, now there is therefore no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus who walk in the spirit and not the flesh. And he goes on to talk about that in chapter 8, what that means. You will never have victory unless you walk in the Spirit. So finding all three of those chapters together, that's where we find the battle of sin, but that's where we find the Spirit within us that has already accomplished victory and the Spirit that gives us victory. We were meant to live in such. We're not trying to chase down victory. We're not trying to find a victorious Christian life. 
we should already have it because the gift of the Spirit is already there. Now, Barclay writes, Christians are set free from the power of sin. We must be careful to see what this means. It does not mean that Christians never sin, but it does mean that they are not the helpless slaves of sin. Before Christ, you were the helpless slave of sin. Now, in Christ, you are no longer helpless to it. Now we have hope, we have assurance, we have power, we have victory, but it is not found in you, it is found solely in Christ. It is found solely in Christ in you, the Spirit of God. Now, Sorensen writes, The verb tenses are again instructive. The thought is simple here. One born of God, or born again, will not be continually living in sin. The sense of the word translated sinneth is present. The idea parallels 1 John 3, 9 of ongoing continual sin. A clear indicator of assurance of salvation or the lack thereof is at hand. Ongoing sin will not continue in one who is truly saved. Moreover, one so born again, begotten of God, will be keeping himself from sin. Therefore, the devil cannot get a hold of him. The word translated as toucheth in this context has the sense of attaching to or clinging to. One who is truly saved will not practice sin and will avoid it. Thus, the devil can't snare him. So here is this. It is not that you're saved now, so you no longer have to battle sin, but rather it's now that you're saved, you can battle sin. Before, when you were without Christ, you could not battle sin. Sin ruled over you. You were its slave. Now, you have a new master, a good master, and you have the ability in Christ, not in yourself, the ability by the Spirit, not by yourself or your flesh, to have power over sin. So, here, Sorensen sums that up beautifully about verse 18 here. The one who is born of God sinneth not. Meaning that he is not continuously seeking sin any longer. Why? Because it's not in his nature. When we go, and by the way, when you sin, you want to know why you sin? You do it because you like it. I sin because I like it. We sin because we enjoy it. But is it the new, the new man that enjoys it? No. It's the old man. Is it the Spirit of God within us that enjoys sin? No. God forbid. It's our flesh. So when you are enjoying sin, what are you doing? Are you living in the flesh or the Spirit? The flesh. Now you can live in the flesh and you can still attend church. You can still even read your Bible in the flesh. But you miss out on the blessedness of the presence of God and the power over sin. We often think that we are powerless to sin and powerless to the devil and powerless to all these things. We're not. We are more than conquerors. There's no longer condemnation. There's no longer separation to those who are walking in the Spirit, walking in Christ. Now, though we may stumble in sin, we will not stay in sin. Right? It is one thing for you to stumble to sin and for God to yank you back up it's one thing for you to go into a ditch or a gutter, but you will not stay there. Think about this. The prodigal son, he went and literally was in a ditch, if you will. He's eating corn cobs after a pig take, takes a bite, right? It, things are rough. And then what happens? Does he stay there? No. He says, even though I've gone this far, I would be better to be even just a slave or a servant to my father instead of even being a son. I will arise and go back to my father and maybe I can just be his servant. What do we find is that we will stumble into sin, but we will not stay. And those that stay, 
very concerning thing for their hearts. Those that find themselves able to stay in the sin of the world, in the sin of the flesh, those that claim Christ yet only live in the flesh, only demonstrate the fruit of the flesh, I would be very concerned for their eternity. Here what we find, one of the famous Puritans once said, you must be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Right? We must be. We must be killing the sin that is within us. If not, it will kill us. It will destroy you. Sin destroys our lives. It destroys our walk. Here he tells us, the one who's born of God, he won't keep sinning. And he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one touch them not. You see, we are of God. Look at this. Uh, and we know, uh, verse 19, and we know, sorry, so we know that whoever's born of God won't keep sinning, and we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. We that are born of God are in a new position in Him and have protection in Him. Our position in Christ is our power in Christ. Our position in Christ is our protection in Christ. You are sealed unto the day of redemption. There is nothing and no one that can change that position. God Himself will not change that position. You cannot change that position. And nothing you do say or nothing anyone else does or say can take you out of that position. If anything could take you out of the position of being born again, then it would be stronger than the cross, stronger than the blood of Jesus, stronger than God Himself. Take heart and have assurance, dear believer, today that though you might stumble and sin, but you do not stay, do not let your heart crush you to death, but rather look to the cross, look to the grace of God, and realize the forgiveness that has been given to you, and know that you are of Him. He says that we are of Him. Those who are in the world are in a position of sinfulness, under the grasp power of sin and Satan. Look at that. Notice that contrast verse 19. We're of God. Meaning, we have a posi- our position, our identity in God, and we now have a, a, a power of God. We now have the protection of God. But look at the contrast with the world. The whole world. Let's break this down, alright? Little, little word lesson here. What does whole mean? All of it. It means the whole thing, right? So if I gave you a... a, a chocolate cake right now and I said you can have the whole thing what does that mean you can have the whole thing right some of you might take up on that offer right you can have the whole thing that's all of it look at this when God gives you himself does he give you a little bit or the whole thing gives you the whole thing he gives you all of himself and so we have the fullness of God we have the power of God we have the protection of God we have the position in God but those that are in the world that they have the whole world, the entirety of the world, lies in wickedness. They don't know anything but wickedness. There's sayings here, and I don't mean to, uh, you might see bumper sticker sayings or something, but um, there's people who say, uh, stupid people don't know they're stupid. Anyone ever seen that bumper sticker, right? Anyone ever said it, thought it? Okay, all right, y'all are more sanctified than me, that's fine. Think about this, right? Lost people, though, don't know they're lost. If you were born, all right, say there was a, an island of people and no one had ever reached them, right? But everyone on that island is born blind and they stay blind their entire lives. And everyone that's on that island for generation after generation is blind. 
Do you think they would know any different? No. Now, think about this. What is the lost world? How are they born? They're born blind. They're, they're born with stopped up ears to the Word of God. They're born with cold and hardened and wicked hearts before God. They're born in wickedness. They're born unrighteous. Do you think they know any different? No. But you and I that have been saved, we know the difference, don't we? And this is why when we do sin, when we do go back to that old man, it should scare us. It should draw us back to the Lord. It should, uh, it should be so overwhelming that we realize, oh no, I don't want that anymore. I have power over that. I don't need, I'm not a slave to that anymore. We also find this in verse 20. He gives us another thing that we can know. And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding. Right? Jesus, who is the revealer of the Father, reveals Himself to us by the Scripture and the Spirit. And then when the Spirit speaks, He points us to the Scripture and He magnifies Christ. And ultimately, this book is about the, work, the person and work of Christ who reveals us God. The three in one. That we may know Him that is true. And we are in Him that is true. Even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. We are accepted in Christ. But we are as well assured by Christ. We are accepted by Him the moment we trust in Him. But we are assured by Him as well the moment we trust in Him. This means that no longer... When, God, when your name is written down in glory, right? Written down in the Lamb's book of life. Do you think the Lord writes it in pencil? And, and you mess up and go, ah, I'm going to erase a letter today, right? If you've got a short name like Joe, you're in trouble, right? <laughs> you're going to want a really long name, right? God doesn't do that. God doesn't erase a letter from your name because you messed up. And He won't even white it out. Rather, if anything, your name has been written through the precious blood of Christ. There's nothing that can wash it away. There's nothing that can um, move it or remove it. There's nothing that can cover it over top of it where you can't see anymore. We are in Him. Though we might not accept us because we allow our sin to overtake us at times, though we might let our minds and our hearts bring us to despair, the Lord does not do so. Jesus, the Son of God, has come and given understanding that we may know Him. That should make our hearts rejoice. And we know that the Son of God has come. That's enough right there to shout over. But then He says, and hath given us an understanding. If you are saved today, it is because the Holy Spirit of God revealed Christ to you through the Word. It is because God in His infinite mercy and grace has revealed Himself. If you know Him and you're born again today, you have a greater revelation than what that island of blind people I talked about earlier do. They don't have that revelation. You, you have been given such a gift by God's grace to know Him. And it is a gift. And yet, let's be honest with ourselves, how often we abuse that gift to know God. We want more than to know Him. We want more than just Him. How foolish we are. 
You see, he then says that we have a revealed understanding of him, that we may know him. And then he says, not just know him, but then he describes the him. That is true. We can know the truth. That's because Jesus is the truth. We can know him that is true. Jesus is said to be the faithful and true one. And we are in him that is true. Meaning now, you were of your father the devil, who is also called the father of lies. What else do we find then? If we are now in Christ, and we have a new father, a new master, what is he the father of? Of truth. All truth comes from the Lord. All true truth comes. And if it's truth, then it's true. And there's only one truth. It is what God has revealed. Cruz writes, the author reminds his readers that we are in Him who is true to reassure them of their standing as believers so as to counteract any doubts that they may have because of the claims the cessationists or Antichrist were making. It is those who hold to the message passed on by the ones who heard it from Christ Himself in the beginning who are in Him who is true because they are in His Son, Jesus Christ. There is no being in God without being in His Son, Jesus Christ. Here the author is not only reassuring his readers, but making plain that the cessationist claims to be in God are invalid because they do not believe in God's Son. There are countless people who would say that they are Christian, but they are not in God and God is not in them. I believe that that is perhaps the greatest pandemic that we have today. There's plenty of lost people, there always have been. But today, perhaps more than ever, at least certainly, we have plenty of people who would claim to know God and yet do not know Him. They would claim to be in Him, but they do not live such. They do not walk such because they are not such. It would be a frightening thing to really know the hearts. I was talking with a pastor friend and mentor. He said something to the effect of, we talked a little bit about of how frightening it would be. And I don't mean this Really, I mean this out of a heart of love because I want you to know Christ. How frightening it would be as, every, as if every time we came to church, if every time you looked around as we sang, or if every time I mounted this pulpit and looked out, is that we were able to see what God sees. It would be very frightening. Do not think that God does not see that lost soul. Do not think that God does not see sin. He won't allow sin into His presence, certainly. Because He's pure and He's holy. But God sees every heart, every motive. Thankful that we don't see what He sees at times. Stott writes, As He, God, is both light and love, so He is also life. Himself the source of life and the giver of life in Jesus Christ. The whole verse is strongly reminiscent of John 17.3, For there or as here eternal life is defined in terms of knowing God, both Father and Son. Life is only found in the Lord, and you will only have life if you are in Him. Without Christ, there is only death. You are born dead in sins and trespasses, and you will remain in such. And you will go to an eternal death. Not a place of annihilation, but a place of eternal death. It's a frightening thought. But see, you and I, because we know Christ, we should have confidence in our position and our identity in Him. We have now been accepted and assured by the Word and work of Christ to bring us to the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. 
here's verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Perhaps that verse we should give as a benediction at the end of every service of just keep yourselves from idols. We ever thought about this? It doesn't take us long for us to go into idolatry, even as believers. You say a believer can't commit idolatry. Oh, he can commit every single sin that is out there in his flesh. How often we make idols in our hearts. How often we make idols of people. We make idols of movements and idols of things and idols of authors and idols of pastors and idols of athletes and idols of self. Keep yourselves from idols. Why is that? The first step to immorality, wickedness, outward, open sin, is idolatry of the heart. The moment you take the place that only God should have preeminence in your heart is the moment that immorality is next. This is what we find in every nation that has risen and fallen, and every other nation that will rise and will fall. This is what we find in every church that has ever risen and fallen. This is what we find in every pastor that's ever risen and fallen. This is what we find in every Christian that has ever risen and fallen, every person. Idolatry is the very most wicked core of sins. Why? Because at its root, you find a multitude of things. You find pride, don't you, in idolatry. You find the fact that you have blasphemed God because you have worshipped or given place to something that only God deserves. Barclay writes, Christians must never be lost in the illusions of idolatrous religion. They must never set up in their hearts an idol which will take the place of God. They must keep themselves from the infections of false faiths, and they can do that only when they walk in Christ. You see, your flesh is very quick and very motivated to have an idol. You think about this. Even Remember back in Exodus at Mount Sinai? God literally gives the law to Moses, and the people on the, on the bottom of the mountain, they've seen God consume the mountain. And you know what they do? We're going to make us an idol. Now, it can be interpreted, and I believe perhaps very rightly, that they're not making some sort of foreign idol, but the issue is that they're trying to make a graven image of that that's up on the mountain so that they can worship Him better because they can see Him. They can't see God. Why? Because He's on the mountain, and all that's there that they see is this smoking cloud that says, don't come near and do not touch this mountain lest I come upon you. So they go, well, if we make this idol... If we make this, make this animal out of gold and we can dance around him, we can see him, we can feel him, we can touch him, and then we can worship God as we do it. How, if we really realize the Ten Commandments, we see it, it all stems, it's right there. They all come lumped together. Idolatry is a very wicked, perverse thing. Jackman writes, anything that squeezes God out of the central position towards the margin of my life must be ruthlessly toppled. Do you remember back when the invasion of Iraq? During that time, as they're coming through, American soldiers, the Iraqis, remember what was happening, what you saw on TV? Toppling down these giant statues and signs of Saddam. Remember that? Now, that should give us this picture of what our heart should look like. Every idol that has ever been raised by our flesh must be toppled down and crushed. I love reading in the Old Testament where you finally get a good king again. 
You get a good king, and you know what they do? Only a few of the good kings even, by the way. They might have gotten rid of some things, but many of the good kings in Israel and Judah is that they kept the high places still. They, they left a little bit of sin in the camp, if you will. But some of the other ones, if they found it, I love it, some of them even crushed it, burned it, sent it away, every idol, everything that had ever been raised up, so that way there was nothing that could remain. That must be the way that we crush sin in our life. It must be the way that we crush idols. Now he moves on and he says, <coughs> any notion of God which contradicts his perfect self-revelation in Jesus Christ must be rejected. This letter, indeed the whole Bible, was written to enable us to distinguish truth from error. We have a responsibility to attend to sound teaching, to guard our Christian lives, to have done with false idols, whether spiritual, intellectual, or material. The enemy is still false teaching, inspired by the evil one, but Christians can be sure. They can know with certainty that they have eternal life. They can have confidence about the things that matter most. Confidence. Not in self, but in Christ. Assurance. Not in self, but in Christ. Apologetics. Not in self, but in Christ. Everything that we need is found in Jesus. That's it. That's it. Stott writes, The worship of idols, unreal and dead, this is why, let me pause there for a moment. This is why we cannot look at certain religions that would call themselves Christian that openly carry bones of saints or books that are not inspired by God Himself and be brought through towns and villages and for people to pray over them and to give money to see them and not called idolatry. That's idolatry. It's not Christianity. And that comes, by the way, in a, in a variety of ways and names. He says, it is inconsistent and incompatible with the knowledge of the true God, which is eternal life. Just as sin and selfishness are incompatible with the knowledge of God who is light and love, it is this incompatibility, this incongruity of sin lovelessness and error with true Christian with the true Christian which is the underlying theme of the letter let Christians once recognize who they are what they have become born of God belonging to God knowing God in God the possessors of eternal life in Christ all these characteristic expressions occur in these final verses or they will surely live a life which is consistent with and worthy of their Christian status. So what do we find here in 1 John? We find joy, we find peace, we find confidence, we find assurance, we find an apologetic for how to live life and how to defend the faith. All found in the things that we can know. Not a head knowledge only, but rather a head and heart knowledge of Jesus Christ. The more that we know Christ, the more that we will be like Him. The more that we know Christ, the more that we will be used for Him. The more that we know Christ, the more He will be glorified. So, what's 1 John all about? The same thing that the Bible's all about. It's to know Jesus Christ. Let us pray. God, we love You. We thank You, Lord, that we can study this wonderful book. We can study Your Word. And Lord, even more so that it can study us to change us from the inside out. 
I pray, God, that your presence would be amongst us today. God, that you would prepare our hearts to worship you in spirit and in truth, that you would be honored and glorified in all things that we say and do today. Lord, give us a sweet spirit of unity, God. Crush any pride, crush any idols that we have in our own hearts or in this, in this church, God. Lord, that you would be uh, in the preeminent spot of which you deserve, that we would be able to see you high and lifted up, that you would draw us near to you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all, we'll take a pause for the calls. Men, we got a prune over here, and ladies got a prune over there.